Hello and welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. On this episode of the podcast, we are talking about the U.S. Senate race happening here in Arizona. We've had a lot of U.S. Senate races here in the past few years. So before we uh, go on to talk about the Republican primary currently underway, uh, I want to briefly review for our listeners how we got to this point. And just a brief civics reminder that the U.S. Senate is a six-year term, and there are two senators per state. Um, and John McCain, Republican, won uh, his last re-election in 2016. I'm just going to do a quick rundown of the past six years or so. Um, John McCain won re-election in 2016. Um, and, then, and then Jeff Flake decided not to run. He was a Republican. He was our other senator. Decided not to run for re-election in, in 2018. Uh, Flake observed a Republican Party changing after the election of Donald Trump and decided he... Um, didn't, didn't want to deal with those changes. I uh, wrote a book about principal conservatism and then retired, deciding not to compete in a Republican primary during the Trump presidency. So there was a vacant Senate seat, and Democrat uh, Kirsten Sinema beat Republican Martha McSally for that vacant seat in 2018. John McCain then uh, passed away in 2018 in the midst of a campaign season. Um, Governor Ducey appointed former Republican Senator John Kyle to the seat, but that was a temporary placeholder. Um, and then after McSally lost to Cinema in 2018, she was then appointed to McCain's seat, um, which she then would need to defend in a special election in 2020. And that's when Democrat Mark Kelly uh, unseated the appointed Martha McSally uh, in 2020. Um, and that, but that victory was only to hold the last two years of John McCain's term. So, so Mark Kelly is now up for re-election this, this cycle in 2022. Um, so right now there's a Republican primary happening to see who will face Senator Kelly in November. The primary election is in early August. And we're going to talk about the candidates in, in just a minute, but um, before we break down the, the, the primary campaign happening, let's just take a minute and reflect on this, on these past few years, from McCain winning in 2016 to Martha McSally's campaigns, um, losing two seats to the Democrats in the last few years. So do you think, I mean, for you, what are the, what are the main takeaways or lessons from, from these campaigns over the last six years? you think anything's relevant this year? And then, I don't know, do you think Arizona voters are happy with having two Democrat senators? Or do you think they are um, ready to make a change? This is the first time since 1952, when Barry Goldwater first won election to the U.S. Senate, that there has been uh, two Democrats holding the U.S. Senate seat and no Republicans. Uh, over that entire period of time. Uh, and I think the reason for that is wholly attributable to the Trump effect. Um, you had in 2018 uh, 225,000 voters uh, who split their ticket, voted for Democrat Cinema for U.S. Senate and Republican Doug Ducey for governor. Uh, and the... Uh, Trump effect, uh, I think, uh, accelerated in Arizona 
and uh, was uh, also responsible for McSally, who never successfully um, uh, walked the uh, Trump tightrope uh, to lose to Mark Kelly and for Trump to lose Arizona. Uh, I don't think that there would be a lot of dissatisfaction uh, with the performance of Cinema and Kelly individually. Um, certainly the woke left uh, is uh, incredibly upset with cinema and her unwillingness to bust the filibuster and uh, wave all of their policy preferences through. Uh, but I don't think that's reflective of the body politic. But there is within the body politic a widespread dissatisfaction uh, with the Biden administration uh, the performance of the Democratic Congress in general, and uh, the state of um, affairs uh, in the United States and in the state, uh, with inflation, a uh, out-of-control uh, border, and um, a sense that the Biden administration isn't up to the task and is trying to do the wrong things. And I think that... Um, creates a serious overhang uh, for Mark Kelly. This is still a uh, Republican-leaning state. Um, Kelly should be in substantially more trouble than he is. And uh, the reason why I don't think he's in as much trouble as circumstances would otherwise suggest uh, is because of the continuation of the Trump effect. Uh, all the candidates running for the Republican uh, nomination uh, yeah. are firmly running in the Trump primary. And that yeah. is not a winning strategy uh, in Arizona. Yeah, and you'd think they'd have learned that from McSally, but, and I want to talk about McSally's sort of um, campaign and compared to what's happening now. Um, but you mentioned kind of lurking behind all of this is t the question mark of 2024, which is when cinema's up for re-election, right? Correct. So, so then lurking behind all this, you described it as the woke left. I would say maybe it was even more than just the woke. Like I would, I would say maybe it was the whole progressive side. I mean, maybe maybe you you see that interchangeably. But like Ruben Gallego is a is a Democrat that's looking to challenge cinema maybe for the democratic primary I, I don't think i would describe him as woke necessarily but he's definitely more progressive in terms of like the policies i'm not sure if you know i don't want to get into too much of those splitting hairs there but i think i don't know if but there's a there's alert i mean do you think ruben gallego had, would have a chance against cinema in a primary that's the problem with our two-party system um, uh, Gallego would have no chance against Kirsten Cinema in a general election where everybody voted. Um, but uh, there'll be maybe 10 to 15 percent of the electorate that will vote in the 2024 Democratic primary for U.S. Senate. And uh, Gallego has a very good chance of defeating Cinema with that narrow uh, electorate. Uh, which is overwhelmingly woke and progressive. Yeah. 
I mean, is there is there a lane? Is there I don't know. Is there a lane for a for a more progressive, maybe economically but less woke um, candidate? I, I mean, I, that's kind I of think where I think candidate... the sweet spot is for the Democrats. Yeah, I I think such a candidate would have trouble winning a, a Democratic primary. Identity politics is very much what the Democratic Party is all about uh, these days, and they're. There are certain um, identity politics uh, policy litmus tests that that you have to pass in order to be uh, acceptable. I don't think Gallego would have any problem passing those, um, but I don't I don't think that you can get in the Democratic Party today the progressivism without the wokeism. Yeah, that'd be something to maybe tease out. Um, a lot of, a lot of people are writing about that and, and thinking about those, those kinds of, um, breakdowns though. But, but let's like, I think what baffles me about McSally's loss the second time is that she was appointed like the first time. Okay. Like you're in the Republican party, you got to win a primary and she did win a primary against, uh, Kelly Ward and, and then loses the general election but then gets appointed to John McCain's seat and then continues to tow the MAGA, make America great again, continues to go to Trump rallies and stuff like that. I just didn't understand. Like, why do that? Why You're appointed to the seat. You don't, you're not going to have a primary, probably. Maybe they were worried about a primary. But why, why, go, to, why go to Trump rallies? Why... Why act like, you know? Why be combative in a in an absurd way with the press, like like she was? Like I tend, and we're going to talk about like Mark Burnovich in a second. Like I tend to blame the staff and the campaign consultants for that, but ultimately it's the candidate's decision. Like why do that, especially after you lost the first time? I don't. I think McSally had the opportunity to follow the Yunkin formula of not being against Trump, uh, but being more than just a uh, Trump acolyte. Uh, And in reality, that's who she is or was. And the water thing. She was a water expert, which is the crisis. It would be awesome to have a water water expert be a U.S. senator right now. Her voice, that voice would be very important in these conversations. But McSally... Um, in my judgment, did not have the confidence um, to buck her political consultants uh, and insist that a true image of herself be projected to the voters. Uh, And you're right, that ultimately is on her. Um, You have these national political consultants that have um, cookie-cutter campaigns that they run, uh, and the belief was that uh, Trump was the turnout mechanism for Republicans, and uh, you needed to be part of that. Uh, as it turns out, he was a more powerful turnout uh, engine uh, for the Democrats. Uh, in the 2020 election uh, in Arizona, for the first time in my 40-some-plus years of experience, 
Democrats turned out at as high of a rate as Republicans. Yeah. Um, so um, she she had an opportunity in both 2018 and 2020, uh, in my judgment, uh, to win election running as her true self and chose to run as a caricature of a Trumpian. But I think at that point, uh, you know, and for me personally, we've been doing this podcast uh, ever since, ever since Flake was still in office. And one of our first podcasts was talking about his book and the, and the Flake versus Trump sort of uh, phenomenon in the, in the Republican party. But uh, my fear was always exactly what happened that, Something like what happened, you know, in the in the election loss, where the, where the Trump um, team Trump would try to do something authoritarian, and that and that who are the who are the checks and balances there? You know, you don't want to check and balance in that Senate seat that's going to go along and do what Ted Cruz did and, and just go along with it to the point, and even, you know, even Mike Lee in Utah, you know, you saw his text come out in these, in these in January 6th, uh, in these January 6th committees, you know, these, these, these Republican senators were willing to go along with a lot of things that, you know, they probably knew deep down somewhere, hidden somewhere, that it was completely wrong and completely against um, what conservatism you know, if you're talking about constitutional conservatism, you know, it's supposed to be about. Um, and so, you know, for me personally, and probably for all of these voters who voted for Ducey and, you know, cinema, that was, don't you think that was partly what they were thinking about? Is like, we don't want a rubber stamp on Trump. You were far more prescient uh, about what Trump was willing to do. Uh, and ended up doing uh, than others, including me. Um, so I don't think in either the 2018 election or the 2020 election, a fear of Trump, the authoritarian, um, played much of a role. It was mostly a um, reaction and a repulsion of the way that he practiced politics. Uh, and, um, and and the political persona of Trump. Uh, yeah. I think and now that has been deepened uh, after we have seen Trump uh, try to engineer uh, an overthrowing of the 2020 presidential election uh, and uh, so much of Republican office holders and uh, officials, uh, being quite willing to be part of it. And, and then, and, and kind of like a check on this whole thing. Cause, cause people like me were, were, you know, I, people that had the same views as me that were more prominent in the, in the national conversation, you know, they were called, you know, like they have Trump derangement syndrome and, and they were mocked for being so alarmed at the personality of, 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 of of Trump, which, you know, you could list a thousand examples of, of, of the reasons why he was, um, raising alarm bells with people. But if, you know, but, but if you would have described in 20, 
2017, 2018, what happened, just the facts of what happened in, in, in 2020, you know, not even January 6th, but all the texts and the, and the evidence that we have, if you just described that, they would have said, you're nuts. People would have said, no, you're nuts. That would never happen. And if it would, I would definitely try to stop it. <laughs> People, you know, but it happened. And I think right now, it's now two years after Trump lost the election. And, and there's no release. There's no, and let's run down now the, the Republican primary for Senate, because there is no, there is no, post-Trump era that has that has happened. Quite the opposite. You've got, let's run down the candidates here. You've got Mark Burnovich, who's the current attorney general of Arizona, um, who came out very early, right away after Trump lost, and said, Trump lost <laughs> because people voted for other people. They didn't like Trump here in Arizona. And I thought to myself, that's awesome. But since then, since the campaign's gone on, he's kind of turned and has become, you know, more pro-Trump and sort of endearing himself more to the conspiracy folks, which are never going to accept him anyways. You've described him as, in your columns, as abusing the powers of his office in order to ingratiate himself um, to, the, to the Trump base. Then you've got Blake Masters, who's a tech guy. Uh, he has ties to Tucson. He's being funded by tech billionaire uh, Peter Thiel, who is also supporting other pro-Trump candidates across the country, including J.D. Vance, who who recent who just tonight, as we're recording this on a, May the third, uh, won his primary in Ohio, um, backed by backed by Trump. Um, got Jim Lehman, who's a rich business guy, owned a solar panel company, um, self-funding his campaign, was a fake elector who participated in the scheme to overturn the 2020 election. He's up there in the polls. You have um, Michael McGuire, who is who is in the Air Force. Uh, General McGuire was the head of the National Guard here in Arizona. Um, and then you have Justin Olson, who is still running, not very high in the polls, but he was a state lawmaker for a bit. He was a finance officer for a pro-Trump youth organization called Turning Point, and he's currently on the Arizona Corporation Commission. Um, Justin Olson's very low in the polls. Um, McGuire, General McGuire, has been relatively low in the polls, so it seems like it's a close race between Brnovich, Lehman, and Blake Masters. Um, so, so for some, so okay, so for someone like me, okay, so I'm a registered, uh, I used to be a registered Republican. I'm currently a registered independent. Um, I'm not hyper-partisan. You know, all things being equal, I prefer conservative policies on many issues, but, you know, I was appalled by the behavior of public officials during the Trump era. I don't see the Republican Party as being a conservative party right now. I don't trust politicians who call themselves pro-Trump after he tried to overturn the the 2020 election results, which you've called an attempted coup. So, as someone like me going into this, if I decide to vote in a Republican primary, primary, who do I, who do I vote for? Who is the candidate? I mean, maybe I'm just not a. I don't know. Is there any candidate for me in this primary? If a qualification to get one's vote uh, is. Uh, refuting Trump's big lie uh, about um, the 2020 election being stolen, 
there isn't a candidate in the Republican primary for either U.S. Senate or governor um, that meets that qualification. And I think for a lot of people that is an important qualification. I will say this. I do think that anti-Trump sentiment remains a powerful force in Arizona. Um, however, it is more difficult to um, make that an issue in the campaign uh, when Trump himself is not on the ballot like he was in 2020. Uh, and when you're evaluating and analyzing the state of political play in Arizona today, it is the case uh, that Biden and his administration are more on the ballot in 2022 uh, than is Trump and what Trump did uh, as president and more importantly afterwards uh, in trying to overcome uh, the legitimate outcome of the election. So uh, I think it is um, very much an open question as to whether for the swing voters in Arizona, the Cinema Ducey voters, um, a, a desire to go in a different direction than what Biden is leading the country uh, will be a larger influence uh, than the desire not to bring back uh, the Trump nightmare. Um, I, th I think that, frankly, is where the 2022 election in Arizona will be decided. Which of those forces, uh, impulses among the um, split ticket voters, uh, turns out to be the most powerful. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, does Biden not have anyone talking to him from the, I mean, how did, I mean, they're talking about canceling student debt. They're talking about, I mean, their, 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 their border strategy is to like go into the Central American countries and talking about like doing something to stop people from leaving there to begin with. It's just, it just, it just strikes me as they're not, it, <laughs> I don't know. It just doesn't strike me that anyone that has Biden's ear that he's listening to or that he is able to, to, it doesn't seem like they're making the steps that would help a independent voters that, that would put Mark Kelly over the top against, uh, um, against a Blake Masters who, yeah. who is openly, who's openly said that the 2020 election is stolen. And if he was, if, if we had Blake Masters in that seat, in that Senate seat and something came up like, like it did in 2020, he would be voting with Trump and he would be doing everything he could to, to make sure that Trump was in power or comes to power, even, even violating the, you know, the values and the, and the principles of, of the constitution and the, and the spirit of, of this country. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's personally, I mean, I know that's just my fear, you know, that we have, that we have this looming situation where there's an electoral, you know, just 
destruction for the Democrats, and then the Republicans that are that are coming to power have no have zero principles and zero um, fidelity to the to the to the principles of our of our republic. But Trump is not on the ballot, and the alternative is a continuation of a wholly unsatisfactory status quo yeah. in the judgment of, of most voters. This is the dilemma uh, that swing voters in Arizona are going to face. And you are right in your critique of the Biden administration. And, and that's why you don't see Mark Kelly running on the successes of the Biden administration. You see Mark Kelly starting to try to create some distance uh, between him and uh, the Biden uh, administration, particularly on immigration, but he also has opposed a couple of Biden uh, more far left um, nominees to positions within his administration. So, and it's just and it's just sad because you could you could imagine a sit. I mean, the inflation problem is is just a fundamental economic problem that they haven't that they didn't take that seriously. The, the Biden administration didn't. And they don't, I don't know if they don't understand the way economics works as well, or, you know, the whole decision to, didn't they cancel a pipeline or something, a domestic pipeline, which, which created more problems when the Russian thing happened. So there's, there's those kinds of things where it's like, okay, you just don't understand, or you're not, your policies aren't as, 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 um, sharp just economically on these things. But, you know, he did end the Afghanistan war, which which wasn't pretty, but that's what Trump was always talking about, ending the Afghanistan war. You know, he got this infrastructure deal passed, which he like screwed up the entire messaging of it because he was so worried about not offending, you know, the progressives who wanted this huge spending package. But he got it done. He got the, he got, so that's, so it's like you could imagine a, a different situation where you could run on some strength there with the Biden administration, but they've just blown it. They've just, I mean, you can't, maybe there was a fundamental flaw with their economics policies and what happened with inflation and, 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 and gas, but, but they're, and maybe he's just so, you know, so old that, that it's not, that he just seems feeble, but Gosh, I just wish it's just tough, and I'm and I'm and I'm worried that. I mean, is is um, I know I'm, we're kind of just on a tangent a little bit here, but um, just trying to figure out <laughs> the situation. Um, is is Mar is McGuire? He's the only question mark I have that I haven't followed as closely. Is he also buying into this? Trump MAGA thing? He, he, he certainly isn't um, as full-throated uh, as uh, Masters uh, and Lehman, um, uh, but he does play on those um, doubts about the election. Uh, I have seen it mostly in his fundraising uh, requests. Um, so there was some hope he would be the candidate uh, of uh, sensible conservatism, independent of Trump. Uh, he uh, hasn't been that, uh, and he's not gathering enough 
support, uh, either financial or grassroots, uh, to make a solid run at it at this point. And it's getting a little late yeah. to get started. Um, I've got to go ahead. Go ahead. The, the explanation for Joe Biden uh, is that he uh, has always been someone who was in the middle of wherever the Democratic consensus was. He has generally liberal instincts, uh, but not a firm policy orientation. And uh, the stuff that he was pushing unsuccessfully did reflect the Democratic uh, consensus at the time. Yeah. And, and he had a chance to pivot at uh, this year's State of the Union address. And rather than pivot to a more centrist, bipartisan approach, which was the pitch that got him elected president, uh, he doubled down on all that stuff. Uh, and he continues to double down on all that stuff. Yeah. So I, mean, he... I, I don't think what, while you, he, you could come up with a, here's what Biden accomplished, it is just completely washed away by inflation, the border, and the public persona that Biden projects, which isn't one of confident diamondism, uh, he, he just seems, and this may be entirely unfair, but just in appearance, he seems to be in over his head. Yeah, I mean, I wish... I wish you would have stopped his speech after his part about a whole part about Ukraine. And, and I, I thought he gave a great speech out there in, um, in Warsaw. And if I was a Democrat, I would have been blasting out clips of that. I know he kind of, I mean, the very end of that speech, he said that Putin can't remain in power, <laughs> but, and that, and that dominate everything. But it's like, there were so many parts of that speech that were just strong, powerful, passionate defenses of, the Democrat, uh, the 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 uh, you know Western civilization, you know, and I, I was watching that speech. I thought if a Republican was in Warsaw right now giving this kind of speech, you know, conservative pundits would be saying that this was the defender, this fearless defender of Western civilization. You know, he's out there in Warsaw, hundred miles away from the bombings from Russia, giving a, a fierce defense of uh, democracy, freedom. And and all the values that underpin Western civilization, and then it's just like he just gets, and then he says that thing in the end, and it just. But no one even tried. I, I you know I follow follow and look at a lot of Democrats on Twitter, and no one was defending him. No one, you know, I think they're almost embarrassed of him. Even Democrats are embarrassed of him. I don't know. In in, in general, I, I believe that the Biden administration has handled. Ukraine skillfully and well. But what I was talking about, Biden not willing to buck the consensus within the Democratic Party and feeling most comfortable being in the midst of it, is illustrated by his uh, most recent request of Congress uh, for aid uh, to Ukraine. Uh, the um, Republican, that would pass if it was a standalone measure, overwhelmingly. Very few mm -hmm. dissenting votes in either the House or the Senate. Uh, 
the uh, Democrats in Congress want to add even more COVID-19 relief money. Uh, and Republicans are saying, well, gee, if we're adding more COVID-19 relief money, uh, we want to do something about the border. And uh, so, uh, the, so what Joe Biden is saying is he doesn't care how these things are handled in Congress. Rather than we are at a critical moment in the Ukrainian war, saying, showing forceful leadership, saying we're united on this let's get this done yeah and then we can fight about other things he's unwilling to tell uh the leadership the democratic leadership in congress no don't add covid19 right uh, relief to to this don't invite the retaliatory effort on the republicans uh, on immigration this is important for western civilization Right. Get it done. And that's, he he and just that, he's unwilling to buck yep. his, and that, his own party's leadership. And that's the same thing that I I noticed during the Trump the, the both of the impeachments. As I thought to myself, I don't think Democrats are taking this threat seriously either, because they're trying to make partisan they're trying to be they're trying to make partisan dunks and 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 points that are unnecessary strictly for the for the reasons of impeachment maybe you think there's not enough republicans are gonna that are gonna remove him from office anyways but you gotta at least have a good faith effort to try and, and make it as nonpartisan as possible and they just didn't i mean both i felt like both impeachments there was just partisan games being played and maybe i don't know maybe that's just maybe that's just politics but i've just felt that that they the democrats aren't either seeing the threat seeing the the, the serious threat that I and many others um, are are seeing. It used to be occasions where our elected officials would rise above politics for critical, very important things. The Watergate hearings um, were a very strong illustration of that. Uh, and you're right. Um, uh, the Democrats didn't rise to the occasion in the way that they handled the impeachment proceedings. Um, I got just to, um, we're going a little bit long on time for our usual thing, but we haven't been doing as many as frequent episodes. So I'm just going to ask two more, uh, two more questions and try to keep it. I'll try to keep it pretty short here, but um, so Mark, Mark Burnovich. Okay. Um, do you think, do you think that he, I mean, obviously, he made the decision. Maybe, maybe it was his campaign consultants, but ultimately, like McSally, you know, it's his his decision. What do you think it would the race would look like right now if he had just stuck to his original point on election night that this election was legit, Trump lost, and then just ran as himself and did, you know, not you know, for me, you know, for me personally, I wouldn't need him to be every day criticizing trump i just need to know that okay you certify the election okay good you, you're telling the truth about it okay good that's you know for someone like me i don't know i know that i'm not the majority of the republican party but how do you think you'd be doing if he decided to do that the whole he, time he would have had to have done two other things in order to make a run for it um uh, he would have had to have been a much more dedicated and successful fundraiser 
and a much more dedicated and successful grassroots organizer. Um, if he had the resources to run his own campaign, uh, then I think he would have had a chance with uh, Masters and Lehman splitting the Trump lane, emerging with a plurality, and it would have been a path to victory. But he hasn't raised any money. He doesn't have any grassroots support. So his whole campaign exists of him using his office to get national um, free publicity by appearing on all of these cable news shows. Uh, and he gets those invitations by filing lawsuits uh, mm -hmm. against the Biden administration right and left uh, in playing up uh, a strong conservative critique of the Biden administration. And the price of admission to those shows is at least a willingness to say there's questions about the 2020 election. So his, so his, his name ID wasn't enough from the beginning? No, because you got two extremely well-funded candidates who can purchase parody and name ID uh, very mm. quickly uh, with paid uh, advertising. He needed to develop the resources, both financial and grassroots, uh, to not be reliant on national ca cable television news, leveraging his official actions uh, into what amount to campaign appearances. Uh, if he had done that, which would have required laying the groundwork much earlier than he did and being more dedicated to doing what are not entirely pleasant uh, exercises in politics um, much more thoroughly and, and aggressively. I do believe that there was a lane for someone like Abernovich uh, to have a chance to follow the Yunkin path yeah. of not being against Trump, but being independent of Trump and gaining the nomination both for the U.S. Senate and the governor's race. Nobody's attempting that path. And then last question, both of the both the both the uh, governor's race and the Senate race has a lot of undecided voters, according to basically all the polls that I've that I've seen. Um, how do you interpret that? And, and what what is that? I mean, just how do you how do you interpret that? What do you make of that? That there's so many undecided still. I mean, no, it's early. Yeah, we're 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 still early in, in the race. There are no titans in the race. You know, there's not a John McCain. There's not a John Kyle. Uh, there's not a Bruce Babbitt. There's not a Janet Napolitano. There's not even a Kirsten Cinema or a Mark Kelly. Uh, these are are mostly second tier politicians, and so they don't begin. Uh, with any particular advantage with respect to each other. Um, there's not a lot of money that's been raised on the Democratic side um, for uh, governor. Uh, and so you don't have people with the resources to invest mass massively uh, over a long period of time to try to gain the advantage. Uh, you do have a couple candidates that have that kind of money uh, in the Republican U.S. Senate race. Uh, and certainly you have... Uh, Robeson spending all sorts of money uh, in the governor's race. Um, but you're just now, I think, starting to see the effect of that. I think these races are just now beginning to take shape 
and uh, they're still pretty wide open for all of the leading participants um, and no one necessarily has a better path than others. All right. Well, let's let's leave it there. And no sons. We'll see. Well, I was just I was just gonna say ghost sons. I was just gonna say ghost sons. I don't want to jinx. I'm just. I just don't want to jinx anything. I'm just gonna say ghost sons. And um, and we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. Uh, thanks everybody for listening to the Political Notebook podcast. You can um, subscribe to the podcast on. Any podcast player, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Overcast, Spotify, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Thank you.